Hello. Hello. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Ken. And we are siblings who are doing a deep analysis of Harry Potter using our skills as a historian and attorney, respectively. This is a spoiler-heavy podcast, so only listen if you've read the books, watched the movies, or just don't care about spoilers. We won't warn you they're coming. We also use adult language, so be prepared for that. Each episode, we follow the same format. First, one of us will channel our inner Professor Bins and remind ourselves what happened in the previous set of chapters we discussed. Then, we will get on our firebolts, get ready to dodge some bludgers as we ride through the plot points in the chapters we're discussing. Finally, we will stir the cauldron and sip on some tea as we do our deep dive into the big questions, hot takes, or anything else we want to discuss. We are thrilled that you're listening. We are also so thankful to the witch of our generation, Julia Christian, our star editor. If anything sounds really cool, that's Julia showing off her magic. Hello, fake news journalists and horrors. Welcome to the Time Turner, Harry Potter In-Depth. Today, we are going over chapters 10 through 12 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. First, Alyssa needs to channel her inner Professor Bins and remind ourselves what happened in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 7 through 9. The Weasleys, Harry, Hermione, and pretty much the rest of the Wizarding World are at the Quidditch World Cup. We learn a lot about what magic can do how the magic folk have events like this and are introduced to a number of characters, including Ludo Bagman, Barty Crouch, and Winky. Fred and George place a big bet on the match, and eventually they win that bet. We're introduced to some new magical creatures, leprechauns and villas, and Hermione starts down her path of equality and justice after meeting Winky alone in the top box, afraid of heights. After the match is over, a group of Death Eaters starts torturing muggles, and in the chaos, Harry loses his wand, the Dark Mark is cast, and Winky is found with Harry's wand, which was proven to produce the Dark Mark. We learn about Death Eaters and the Dark Mark, and Harry is concerned about these events happening so closely to his scar hurting. Let's grab our firebolts, dodge some bludgers, as we work through who scored and who fell off their broom in chapters 10 through 12 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Chapter 10. The group gets up early to leave the World Cup. They pass Mr. Roberts on the way out, and despite Arthur's claims that Mr. Roberts will be okay, just take some time to get over this, I don't really give a fuck what he's saying. Mr. Roberts is not right. Not looking good. No. They should definitely be giving him some more attention, like maybe take him to the hospital. I'm just saying he shouldn't just be trusted to get over this. Yeah, this isn't good luck. Not a good look for Wizarding World. Not a good look for how we treat muggles. And I'd like to see a case study on what happens to Mr. Roberts after this. I do not think we ever see him again. No, we don't, but we really should. We need to know what happened to him. Yeah, we need to follow up. Arthur gets the group an earlier port key to get home. There's a long line of people trying to get out as soon as possible. And all I have to say to that is, let's drain the swamp, guys. Who's this bureaucrat able to cut the lines because he knows someone to get out early? Like, no, you should wait in line like everyone else. For someone so well-connected in the ministry that rubs elbows with Ludo and Barty Crouch and even the minister, he can get an earlier port key. Shouldn't he have a higher-paying job? 
or like more respected by like the minister or whatever. Yeah, he seems respected. Like when they talk to him, they're not acting like he's a nobody. It just feels like the way he interacts at his job and the fact that he has a low level job and is not highly paid. It just doesn't seem normal to me. And we know later Molly makes a point about how Fudge never liked Arthur and thought he was too weird for liking muggles. And that's why he didn't go higher in the ministry. But it seems like most people there seem to be fine with him. Like maybe he's quirky, but they have professional relationships. He's well connected. It's just weird. Again, I go on and on about Mayor Fudge. And like, if we are creating merch, we're going to get one that says Mayor Fudge on it. But why is Mayor Fudge like responsible for the promotion of low ranking ministry officials? Like that is so far beneath the job function of the minister of magic. Again, mayor. If anything else, it should be the chief of staff's job, not his job, but not the point. So the group arrives back to the borough and Molly was very worried about their safety and she immediately starts apologizing to Fred and George. You know, the last thing that she said to them was yelling at them and about how they're not going to do anything in life and they could have got hurt, they could have died, and she feels really bad for her actions. We meet one of the most interesting, maybe, characters in Harry Potter. Rita Skeeter finally makes her first appearance as she writes a horrible article about the attack at the World Cup and seemingly blames Arthur for spreading fears and lies when, like, he didn't, but she's really just a terrible journalist. She would do really well in 2020. Well, actually, she's shitting on the government, which that's the kind of journalism we need right now. So she's doing democracy's work? Shit on the government, but do it with the truth. Don't be like, oh, an official denied rumors of bodies being taken out when like there were no bodies but now there's going to be rumors of bodies so you know like do this right oh yeah i mean she's a sensationalist and she's not a good journalist all i'm saying is like at least at the current second she's not a puppet for the government sure fine which that's a problem fair Harry tells Ron and Hermione about his scar hurting and they react exactly as he predicted they would Percy blames his father for the trouble at the ministry, saying that he shouldn't have given a quote to Rita and he shouldn't have made the situation worse than he did. And Molly comes to Arthur's defense and yells at Percy for blaming Arthur for the fact that Rita's making crap up. Fred and George are up to something. They're whispering, they're talking, they're writing stuff, but we don't really know what yet. More on that later in this book. Percy defends Crouch's treatment of Winky, and Hermione continues to channel her activist side and argue that Crouch was mistreating Winky and needs to treat his house house better. Harry and Ron find dress clothes in the group of stuff that they're bringing to school, and they don't really know what this is about. Molly's just like, oh, we were told you're supposed to bring it. And Ron's dress clothes, they're, uh, they're not great. Tough look. Not what he was hoping for. Tough look for Ron <laughs> Weasley with these dress clothes. I mean, I get it. But maybe she should try like a second thrift shop. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe like there's another one that has something not so awful. Yeah, not great. Ooh, that actually made me think of something for a later session that we didn't talk about. So I'm going to write that in my notes now so we remember it for later. So thank you. All right. Well, while you do that, I will move on to chapter 11. <laughs> yes, <laughs> please. Amos Diggory and Arthur Weasley are dealing with some kind of crisis. Amos's head pops up in the fire, kind of like a semi-flu network thing, which is good to have here because we're going to need it again later this book. But now we know you can kind of throw your face in the fire and your face will just show up. And 
A side note to this is Molly feeds him toast in the fire. The technology of this flu network is crazy considering that this culture also uses quills and not pens. So the flu stuff is pretty cool here. But there's some kind of crisis. Some muggles are freaking out about something and they call the police. Although they called him please man. That's what Amos called it, which is funny. Someone named Mad-Eye said there was an intruder and his dustbins, which I believe what we would call in the U.S. garbage cans? Yes. Trash bins? Yes. <laughs> started making noise and firing garbage everywhere. And that's when the police showed up. Amos thinks Mad-Eye was overreacting. They kind of poke a little fun at him that this guy apparently constantly thinks murderers are after him. But it's clear there's a level of respect here because Amos still wants to protect Mad-Eye from getting in trouble. He's asking Arthur to help him out. Hey, can you go sort this out? Throw a minor charge at him from your office so he doesn't get in more trouble because he made such a big deal over this that the muggles are involved. They have to erase people's memories, that kind of thing. So Arthur runs out, even though that's the day they're supposed to go to King's Cross to go help out. Mad-Eye and Molly is like, yeah, go help Mad-Eye. So it's very clear that this is someone important and this is someone people like and they highly respect. And then we're introduced to Mad-Eye. He's a retired Auror, friend of Dumbledore, who is one of the best dark wizard catchers. Molly then takes the kids to King's Cross because it is time for Hogwarts. Finally, Charlie Weasley, one of Ron's older brothers who's no longer in Hogwarts. You didn't know who Charlie was at this point. If you just watched the movies, you would have no idea who Charlie was, really. He's not even in this movie, so... Right, right. Charlie is just non-existent, and I really like Charlie, so that's sad. Charlie gives the kids another hint about the big event coming up. I may be seeing you sooner than you think. And Molly does the same thing. She mentions, oh, well, I would invite you for Christmas, but you probably aren't going to want to come anyways. You're probably going to want to stay at Hogwarts for the thing. Wink, wink. So they're confused. They have no idea what's going on. And they get on the train and the train to Hogwarts activities commence. They hear Draco going on about other magical schools, Durmstrang, how they're more into the dark arts. And that leads us to a conversation of Hermione explaining how the other magical schools are protected and hidden. The annual Draco Malfoy is a jerk on the train. Part of the book starts now and he teases Ron, Hermione, and Harry about the top box, the dress robes, and them not knowing about the double dawn big secret that Draco already knows about. Ultimately, they arrive at Hogwarts without any limbs going missing or any punches or Dementor attacks. So some teasing, all in all, uneventful ride. Good train ride. Good train ride. Like the best train ride they've had so far, really. I mean, I guess the first one was really good. Yes, first one was good. Second one didn't really exist. No. Third one. Not so good. Worst. <laughs> Not worst. Maybe worst. I mean, it's between that and the sixth one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I feel like six had a lot of good up until it went bad. But he had the slug club. Right. Like <laughs> Harry gets his nose broken and almost gets sent back to London, but hit the slug club and like not as many people had as bad. Harry's the only one who had a bad ride. Yeah. yeah. So I think Prisoner of Azkaban, worst train ride. This is a nice reprieve from any actual violence. Agreed. Hey, Alyssa, it looks like the owls are arriving with today's daily profit. So let's take a moment and talk about today's sponsor. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. Ken and I at The Time Turner highly recommend Audible because they're the leading provider of not just audiobooks, but podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, and their own Audible original content. They have everything we ever want to look for. My favorite romance series, Crossfire, the inspirational Becoming by Michelle Obama. 
I find that Audible is really helpful in my academic work for my day job. You know, I don't just record Harry Potter podcasts all day. I can download titles and listen offline, even if I'm running to blow off some steam or I'm in the car. The app is free and easy to use. As a member of Audible, every month, you get one credit to pick any title you want. Hello, more leisure reading and podcasts. And you also get two Audible originals from a monthly selection. You also get access to daily news digests, as well as guided meditation programs. But even better, with our code, you can get a free trial. Sign up today, audibletrial.com slash timeturner, and start listening right now. Chapter 12. Welcome back to Hogwarts. And I love that, you know, we go really straight into it this time. The first thing that happens is Peeves is up to no good and is goofing off. And McGonagall's trying to get Peeves to act properly and also trying to organize everything. We really get straight into it this year. It's nice. We get a new Sorting House song. It's nice to see different ones. Nice to see that the Sorting House mixes it up every year. Hermione finds out that Hogwarts is home to a lot of house elves and freaks out. This is not in any of the history books about Hogwarts. Apparently, it's the largest dwelling of house elves in Britain, and Hermione is not happy about it. Yeah, this is a constant, and we're going to see this through the book. But you know what? Good for Hermione. I support this. Oh, absolutely. I'm all for activist phases and fighting for what you believe. I'm with her. I'd be part of Spew. Yeah, I'd be part of Spew too, probably. Dumbledore makes his beginning of the year speech and initially pissed everyone off with the announcement that there's going to be no Quidditch Cup. You're joking. Gryffindor cannot defend their title. You're joking. I'm not. It's crazy. But I do know a good joke about a hag that went to a bar. Ahem. <laughs> Sorry, back. So as Dumbledore's about to explain why there's no Quidditch Cup, Mad-Eye Moody arrives and he instantly makes a mark on the students. Oh yeah, he's leaving an impression. <laughs> it's not necessarily a positive first impression, but he stands out. Well, his timing is just impeccable. That's wonderful. Walks right in in the middle of a cliffhanger. In the movie, it's like lightning strikes at that exact moment. <laughs> he looks a mess. Harry's description of what Mad-Eye looks like, it's like he's barely human. When you were in school, did you ever like accidentally, of course, come into class late and like everyone turns and looks at you as like you come running in with your books, like trying to not be freaking out? I don't think so. Okay. But I know what you're talking about. Other people do that. Right. Of all the stupid things I've done. I haven't either. My books had to be in my seat 10 minutes before class started. So I never had this issue. But I imagine this would be like the closest we as like students in the United States could feel to this. Yeah. The classes start, the professor's lecturing, and like you come in, everyone's just like, what the fuck? That happens to me at work. Oh, okay. I think we've talked about this before that Ken and I both come from this family that punctuality is like value number one. <laughs> We're very on time people. But at work, you know, you sometimes are going from meeting to meeting to meeting in different buildings or different rooms. And so there are times where you walk into a meeting that already exists and everyone kind of turns and looks at you and you're like, sorry, other meeting one later, let me tell you. But it is this awkward feeling where everyone's staring at you and like you kind of look down you're like oh i hope i don't have any coffee spills anything <laughs> like that right so Moody arrives and Dumbledore gets to finish explaining why there's no Quidditch Cup. It's because the Triwizard Tournament is back and Hogwarts is going to play host this year. You're joking. <laughs> <laughs> Still not joking. 
Everyone is obviously very excited at first. Dumbledore explains what the tournament is to people who had never heard of it and the readers. But then he disappoints a lot of people by saying they've made the decision that no one under 17 will be allowed to enter because it's too dangerous and people might die. One last time. You're joking. <laughs> Channeling my Fred Weasley. <laughs> the irony, of course, this year is that someone will die, but not someone under 17. So correct. Rules didn't really help this time, but they didn't expect, you know, Voldemort to be part of the Triwizard Tournament. So I guess that's not really Dumbledore's fault. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> the announcement ends and Fred and George talk about how they're going to find a way to sneak their entry to the Triwizard Tournament, maybe using an aged potion. Harry and Ron briefly are involved in the conversation, talking about if they could enter, would they? And Harry goes to sleep that night thinking about becoming the Triwizard Champion, having everyone cheering his name, and of Cho Chang. Yeah, we have our first little bit of budding romance for our characters. So sweet. So now, let's stir the cauldron and sip on some tea. What are our big questions or hot takes for chapters 10 through 12 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? So not a big question, not a hot take, but the tie to the endgame of this book, at least. The dustbin thing, that was obviously real. You grow up like hearing the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? If you say murderers are coming every day and people have to come bail you out of that every day, when murderers actually do come, they're just going to like assume you're being dramatic again. In this case, Barty Crouch Jr. came over, attacked Moody, I guess stuffed him in a crate and then questioned him, took his appearance. And this plot started at that moment. It's sad that it was just ignored immediately and serious, I think, through this book. When Harry is like sharing some of this information, I think Sirius says Moody can spot stuff. Yeah, no. So we definitely get the sense, you know, of Moody exactly as you says, the boy who cried wolf and everyone's like, oh, Moody's at it again. But I think Sirius has it right that he says that, you know, Dumbledore seeing the signs if he's bringing Moody back, that he's hearing rumors that something's going on. And, you know, that ends up being more important than, you know, we realize, yes, this isn't the Moody we think we're getting. But the fact that Dumbledore brought Moody on is very important, does speak to the fact that Dumbledore and Sirius and people like them recognize that something's happening and that the world is changing. Agreed. So ignoring that actually this was a Voldemort plot and Cedric Diggory died at the hand of Voldemort in the graveyard, take a second, pretend that this actually happened the way it was supposed to happen, where there's not a hidden plot by the most murderous genocidal killer in the Wizarding community. Do we think that this tournament is actually acceptable to have in a middle school slash high school? No, absolutely not. It's ridiculous. I get that, like, at 17, you become of age, but, like, this is a super dangerous task. They have safeguards in the maze. If you run into trouble, send up red sparks and we'll save you. We know that, like, Dumbledore wasn't going to actually let people drown in the second task. Well, we know he wouldn't let the trophies drown the second task. What happens if Harry messes up the gillyweed? Does he drown? Would he die? For all we know, yes. And the dragons, there's very little you can do with the, in the moment. They have people ready, but like if the dragon's going to kill you, the people ready to uh, subdue the dragon aren't getting there in time. Part of me thinks it's okay, actually, because theoretically they have people on standby. They weren't going to let anyone drown. They would have had someone subdue the dragon if it got out of hand. However, what's not to say that like something they try to do doesn't kill them? A charm goes bad. He has some rotten killyweed. I mean, the school in general just has a really high tolerance for student safety concerns. But I generally think it's actually okay. 
I think it's in a lot of respects only a little more dangerous than everyday life at Hogwarts. I guess I hear you, but you know, there's a reason this hadn't been held in so long that so many people got hurt and died. And I understand maybe wanting to bring it back. I'm not sure I can justify that it was the right call. You have to wonder what the tasks were in the previous ones where people were dying all the time. Like, ooh. Right, this is supposed to be a safer year. <laughs> it seems unsafe, but it also seems like not impossible. The dragon seemed a bit much. Yeah. The maze was the only one that seemed reasonable as like something that like, okay, like this makes sense, but oh well. So after hints in numerous chapters, we finally found out in this section what the big event was going to be, the Triwizard Tournament. And obviously a lot of people know about it. Charlie, Percy, Molly, Arthur, the Malfoys, Draco's talking about the Crab and Goyle, so they obviously know. But reading it this time, I had one other thought, which is if Wizarding Twitter was a thing, this would have leaked like months ago, right? There's no way this doesn't get out if we have Twitter and Instagram. Isn't it also possible that like just a very small percentage of those students didn't know about it like it's basically the weasleys harry hermione and like <laughs> everyone else knows a few others like the muggleborns and like the people that don't have parents connected i mean you don't see a whole lot of reactions from people doesn't mean they weren't like oh my god but all evidence would point to that the weasleys were like the only mildly ethical people in the scenario and not telling the kids it seems like everybody else knew i i certainly hope not because that would again make me feel very depressed for as you said the ethics of everyone else in the wizarding world. But why would it even matter if it got out? That's the thing is like, the more I think about that, I'm like, why did it have to be a surprise? I mean, we still don't know what the tasks are. True. We don't know what most of the students know going into this. The only line we get is that when Hermione expresses alarm at the death toll, they say that her anxiety did not seem to be shared by the majority of the students. Many of them were whispering excitedly to one another, which to me at least implies that most didn't know and are now like, oh my God, this is happening but that's flimsy and i know that and i'm not sure either i'm not like tied to that although i am developing the opinion here a take that there was absolutely no reason to keep this a secret no percy keeping it a secret is percy trying to show that he is in the know but molly or charlie should have told them but there was clearly like a directive from the ministry like don't talk about it except of course when you want to talk about it right <laughs> i just don't get why it was decided it should be a secret because what you think kids aren't going to come to school like the kids are going to be more excited than ever to go to school i don't really get what the problem is here maybe it's something to do with the negotiations with the other schools but like they had to have known because well they maybe didn't know before this moment i don't know it's weird and i still think if twitter existed everyone would have known months before fair enough so Ron gets these absolutely horrible dress robes, and it's because Molly had to get him in a second-hand storm. There weren't many options, and I understand that, but we get no mention in this book at all that, like, Fred, George, or Ginny have, like, awful clothing. So the other ones seem to have been able to be dressed okay. Well, Ginny doesn't get it. I mean, and if she does, she gets a dress at the last second because she was asked right. by Neville. She wouldn't have been old enough. That's fair. Fred and George, no clue what they're looking like. Maybe they get their own. They're not making money yet. They just won that bet with our leprechaun gold although i know they want to use it right which is gone already so yeah, they should have bought those dress robes first my first thought was maybe like bill and charlie had robes that didn't fit them anymore but fitted fred and george but we don't have any evidence that that's what happened yeah i agree there's something weird there that seems the most likely scenario in my mind but still it's a little weird that like ron gets the butt of this joke but like apparently fred and george look perfectly normal and there's no issue with them i mean you're right that's a weird little plot hole there i think yeah Last comment, at least, I have for this episode. 
It's about Mad-Eye Moody and what we eventually find out the truth is about Barty Crouch Jr. pretending to be him. I think it's one thing to have Polyjuice Potion and copying someone's appearance. Barty Crouch Jr. does this. We see it numerous times throughout the series. But Barty Crouch Jr. seems to nail copying Moody's mannerisms, right? Like he is acting so perfectly as Moody that even Dumbledore doesn't realize he's a fraud. And like, that's kind of incredible, right? Like we know Crouch Jr. is powerful, but- Oh, this is high skill. Right. I mean, this is a really extraordinary skill. Like we know Crouch Jr. is supposed to be a talented wizard, that there's so much, you know, potential for him. And we know from his actions throughout this book and what we find out he's done in other cases, that he's very strong, very powerful, very dedicated- But like, this could be the most impressive thing he does. Like, he fooled Dumbledore and everyone else into thinking he was this crazy old Auror who's paranoid and freaking out. And it probably helps that he probably was paranoid that he was pretending to be someone so he could play into that a little bit. So he had that benefit, but really impressive, right? I mean, this is an Oscar-winning performance. Right. And not only does he do a good job at pretending to be moody, He's also a really good teacher. And we'll talk about that too as time goes on. I mean, Harry says in later books, he could have been up with Lupin with the best teachers they had. Right. Harry learns a lot about dark arts and about his own ability. He learns, you know, about fighting the Imperius curse. He learns about the unforgivable curses. It's a good educational year for Harry. And it's because a Death Eater taught him. There's certainly a lot of irony and we could talk about that, you know, to the end of days. I mean, but you learn from your friends, you learn from your teachers and you learn from your enemies. And I think here Harry learned a lot from an enemy. But your point is well taken that this is really an incredible skill. It's not that special to be able to perform a cruciatus on somebody. I mean, you have to have a lot of hatred and you have to be, you know, evil. But you don't have to be like special evil. That's just like run of the mill boring evil. To be able to do this and trick all of these people. It's not just Dumbledore. It's also Arthur Weasley. It's everybody at the school that knows him. I mean, this is a really, really special skill. And you have to recognize when your enemy can do something really cool. And in this case, being able to transform himself into Mad-Eye Moody in this way is just it's extraordinary. Okay, so with that, compared to last week, this one was very short. Agreed. We are done with going over chapters 10 through 12 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Join us next time as we go through the next couple chapters of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. As usual, please send us your feedback. We don't have a Twitter poll today, but still find us at TimeTurnerPod, Twitter, Instagram. Download, subscribe, review on all of the major podcasting platforms. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you everyone so much. We appreciate all the support. If you're like Ron and myself and you're so hungry, you feel like you could eat a hippogriff, go get yourself some food.